Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome in to the Jeff Andreas Show here on Thursday, October 24th. And thank you, as always, for tuning in. On today's show, I'm going to be talking about the issue of electoral reform. Yes, the election is now three days behind us, but there does continue to be important conversations that are deriving from it. I'll be joined in studio by former Kamloops City Councilor Nancy Bappel to talk about the issue. One idea she has is to look at the population size of different ridings, uh, looking at somewhere such as PEI, which has four seats yet has similar population numbers to Kamloops Thompson Caribou. So we'll be having an extended chat later in the show about that. And then to end off the program, I'll be joined by the Executive Director of Ask Wellness. Uh, We are hitting that time of year where the temperatures are starting to get a little bit cooler, so it's an important time of year for an organization organization like Ask Wellness to be out on the streets and making some headway there. But to begin today's program, Calgary-based Steel River Group has formed a strategic relationship with the Little Shoe Swap Lake Band. Through the relationship, Steel River Group and Little Shoe Swap will collaborate to advance projects that are mutually beneficial for the economic interests of all involved. What exactly does that mean? Well, I am joined now by the founder and CEO of Steel River Group, Trent Fiquette. Trent, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. So maybe before we delve too deep into this partnership, maybe tell my audience here a little bit more about Steel River Group and sort of what it's all about. Thank you. Uh, Steel River Group is a, um, a management entity where we have a, um, a management structure that we call we coin an ecosystem, whereby we have ownerships in direct operating companies, a pipeline company, a civil construction company, a water transfer company, and in turn we have strategic alliance partners uh, that help fill the bucket of possible execution needs on major projects and we also support them and to, you know to the, the bring this alignment together we proactively work with um, nations indigenous communities to allow them to be better partners with industry by bringing forward capacity and, and ideally uh, competency in, in areas that's required by the clients and or the areas that the, the nations and the groups want to build capacity. Now, you started this company a little over two years ago, if I understand correctly, the timeline, I guess. Just why was this something that you wanted to kind of branch out and, and do on your own? Because I know you, uh, from what I understand, have kind of been in the construction industry for quite some time, but you know, you wanted to, to start your own company. So why was this something that you wanted to get involved with? Yeah, I appreciate the question. Yeah, you know, I had a great career working across Canada, for that matter, in the mining industry, the diamond industry, uh, Fort Marine Industrial, and, and recent years in the pipeline industry. So, um, great construction experience. I, I'm Inuit uh, from uh, from lineage, and working across Canada, working across the north, especially, seeing where the indigenous groups, when wanting to take a leadership role in the economic benefit for the area. Uh, became an extremely positive thing for the nations, for the region, for non-indigenous businesses, for the governments, and so on and so forth. So moving into and, and setting up my family in, in around the Alberta region, uh, I seen that there was a huge opportunity to be able to take some of those models and some of the, um, you know, the more successful examples of that alignment throughout Canada, bringing it into Western Canada. Right on. So, you know, you obviously have a, a bit of a, a focus then on uh, indigenous uh, indigenous projects and, and working with indigenous communities then? You know, our model, we're an indigenous-owned business. Um, you know, we find right now with our value system and our goals as a management entity to work with nations. But 
for us is to go out and work with re within regions. Within those regions, there's indigenous and non-indigenous. You know, the great thing about the world and the great thing about all lands and all countries, they're made up of people that are indigenous to that land and people that are not. Um, so for us, we go in and we work with the regions and we try to benefit the regions. And mm. because of our culture and our values, we find that we are able to partner with indigenous groups in the region, indigenous businesses, and then in turn take a leadership stance as far as improving uh, the economy in the region. Perfect. I think that's a perfect way to transition into, uh, you know, this specific partnership that you're looking at with the Little Shoe Swap Lake Band. So, um, you know, when it comes to this band specifically, why was this something that you guys wanted to pursue? What is it about Little Shoe Swap that sort of attracted you guys? You know, great question. Uh, a part of our ecosystem, part of our foundation is, we're 100% we're driven by the people that join the business, our relationships in, inside of that, and this relationship is no different. It, it's based on personal connections with members from Little Shushua and or some of the new leadership that they brought into their administrative staff. So it's about longstanding um, relationships. And, and when we're talking about, you know, some of the, the mutually beneficial, you know, economic interests that, uh, you know, both you guys have, I guess, can you talk about what some of those interests specifically are? Are there any maybe specific projects that you're looking at right now that, you know, the Steel River Group and uh, Little Shoe Swap Lake Band are kind of working together on at this point in time? I mean, this is a, a pretty new partnership. So just sort of where are things in terms of that uh, that partnership right now in, in terms of those projects that you might be looking at? I mean, um, you know, just, just what are you guys looking at right now at this immediate point in time? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, and I appreciate you recognize the, the newness of the, the relationship. Um, you know, in our model, we don't go in and focus on a project or maybe even swap the projects. We look at the business, and we look at the, all the long-term opportunities initiatives with the, within the region. Uh, and then we take approaches to support our partners on what their overall goals will be. Uh, right now, we're pretty early stages uh, into that, like, like you can appreciate. So for me to go out and, and list out a bunch of projects would probably be extremely premature. With that said, um, you know, I think uh, Little Shushwap has uh, known and has a lot of success in the region on the resorts and the golfing infrastructure. We all know there's uh, some pretty aggressive and, and major infrastructure uh, plans throughout that region. And, you know, for our, our client base, we, we bring um, probably a swath of and a pool of, of clients and partners that we know that are, have plans and up, up to, uh, sorry, expansions in the region in the coming years. Um, so our partnership will be focused around those, those maybe three, three avenues. I'm joined on the line by the founder and CEO of Steel River Group, Trent Fiquette. Um, maybe tell me a little bit, too, as well. Uh, you know, you guys are based in Calgary. Um, so, you, you know, you have a focus there in Alberta and, and what's going on there in, in a bigger city. Um, you kind of touched on it, I think, a little bit. But just how does a company that's based in, you know, in a big city in Alberta, um, how are you able to take... Um, you know, what, what kind of interests, I guess, are you sharing with uh, with somewhere like the like a, a smaller community here in the interior of BC? I guess just how does a, a partnership like that work when you're looking at uh, you know being stationed in, in a big city in a different province and then being able to to still work with communities like Little Shoe Swap here in the interior? Uh, again, good question. Uh, you know, I guess my personal belief is that it's, this world is pretty small. Um, you know, we're all interconnected, especially in, inside of Canada, maybe even more so inside of Western Canada. You know, maybe uh, if we, we focus too much on the negativity of the politics and, and uh, over the last four or five to six years, we might have to debate that. But I, I strongly believe that it's a lot more positive in our relationships than negative. Uh, our conglomerate of our businesses as it sits today, we're peppered throughout Western Canada uh, with direct operations and offices, sub-companies, 
whether it's JVs or other like relationships. So, yeah, our, our, our head office in Calgary, because I personally live here, but uh, like all great companies, we're just made up of a collection of people as well. Um, our people, a lot of our senior leadership originated from uh, from the region of Kamloops um, and other regions where Canada. So our plan is to, you know, focus in this region in the coming months and years. But we're already established throughout Western Canada, and we have some aggressive plans to, to continue that expansion throughout Canada, Central Canada, and, and into Eastern Canada. Uh, Trent, could you give me maybe an example or two of just some success that you have seen and maybe some successful projects that you've been able to head up or be a part of um, and just sort of how that's going to transition here? You don't have to talk about that transition specifically, but just you know, what sort of experience do you guys have that you're going to be able to bring to the table here? Yeah, good question. You know, uh, a few years ago, we were able to come in and start a relationship with Alexis Dakota, um, which is outside of Edmonton, spreading up to uh, uh, to White Court and Jasper region. And um, they had a small business at the time that with a partner called Backwards Energy. Um, we came in and and listened to the needs of the nation and the wants, and um, were able to put together a plan. And the plan was centered around maximizing employment for the member base. Um, we. We were able to diversify the services uh, into integrity, into civil, uh, into environmental monitoring, and took the business uh, from a, a base of employment of about 20 Indigenous members on a full to unsustainable basis to um, the last two years consecutively. We've uh, we got the membership base employment up to 120. We have overall employment up to about 250, and uh, took the revenue from about 10 million to 100, 100 million. Um, so that's one recent success as far as alliance um, that I, you know, I'm pretty proud that to focus on and, and use as showcases some of our experience. Yeah, that's that's really good stuff, and I hope that uh, you know we can can see can see some of that success transition here to to Little Shuswap, and that uh, you know that community there is able to to reap the benefits here. I'll get you out of here on this trend. Um, you know, uh, you did talk a little bit about it, or, or briefly mentioned it anyway, that you guys um, at the Steel River Group do to, uh, do some do some work on on pipeline projects. Um, I was just wondering if uh, maybe you could give a quick comment on sort of how the election went, and and you know, does that change the landscape or expectations on such projects, or does it really change anything? Just because I know obviously the Liberal government has been big on trying to push this pipeline through, but now that they have a minority, it might change the way that things are sort of approached. Uh, you know, just in terms of pipelines in general, I just wanted to sort of get your overall thoughts on on the industry and, and sort of your, you know, do you have any fear, I guess, that, uh, you know, maybe those projects in terms of pipelines specifically aren't going to uh, be able to move forward as quickly as maybe you would want? That's a loaded question, Jeff. <laughs> you know, I appreciate the question. I, I would, I'll probably skate away and around that by saying, you know, I'm not linked necessarily to a lot of the provincial or federal policy. I'm, I'm not an economist. I think for our business, we, you know, we support and try to build our vision and our goals around, um, you know, initiatives that maybe are protected by some of the, the craziness that can happen inside of pol uh, politics or maybe even some of the good things. What I will say is that, um, you know, personal beliefs is, Pipelines are are, are need right now. Uh, they're a source of sustainable income, uh, and especially for when I know the Kamloops region, this, there's a project or two that's on the horizon. Obviously, that's going to benefit everybody in the region, um, and they're not a negative thing. Do we appreciate that moving forward? Uh, we're going to have to uh, adjust with the times and, and look at our energy sources. But the reality is that's not here today. Um, as a group, we need to be extremely proactive in, in figuring out what the solutions of the land is going to be in years to come. But uh, the reality is pipelines will get built in the next 
months and years to come and um, and as owning one of those companies and being an indigenous company um, it, you know the belief is that these projects are, are vital uh, to the economy in the regions that we're currently working in and the partners we're, um, we're, we're looking to help support. Well Trent, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. I really appreciate you answering some, some questions and um, yeah, we'll look forward to maybe following up on this partnership in the future. Thanks so much. Thank you, I appreciate the invite. Awesome, that was founder and CEO of Steel River Group, Trent Fiquette, on a new partnership with Little Shoe Swap Lake. Coming up after the break, I'll be chatting with Nancy Bapple, so stick around. Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome back here on Thursday, October 24th. So the 43rd Canadian federal election, it has happened. We're now three days removed and I'm sure that many out there are starting to get a little electioned out, so to speak. But uh, there does continue to be reason to talk about what happened on Monday night. Uh, when it comes to the results, the Liberal Party, of course, was re-elected to a minority government with 157 seats, and Justin Trudeau will once again serve as Prime Minister. But one talking point that I want to continue to bring up is how we vote. The Liberals won 46% of the seats with just 33% of the popular vote. And as I said on my show yesterday, those numbers just don't necessarily jive well with me. Uh, I talked yesterday about electoral reform and looking specifically at proportional representation, but one former Kamloops city councillor has maybe a different idea of how we should be looking at the voting system in the wake of this week's election. I am joined in studio now by Nancy Beppel. Nancy, thanks so much for coming in. Oh, good morning, Jeff. So it's been a little while since we spoke. <laughs> how, how have you been keeping? Oh, it's been great. I mean, Kamloops, we're so lucky to live here, so... No complaints. Perfect. Um, I guess just before we get into the conversation, I mean, uh, how, how would you uh, react to Monday night? I mean, you, you must have been out somewhere and sort of enjoying watching the results come in. Yeah, I was over at Ian Curry's Green uh, Party headquarters, and uh, uh, I know that they were very happy. Uh, everyone wants a win, but you have to put it in perspective. Uh, Ian had the best uh, results of a Green candidate from Vancouver all the way west, east to Guelph. So he, he stood out among candidates for the Greens across the country. Yeah, and I believe the most votes a Green Party member has ever received here in Kamloops. So got yeah, to be a big win for him, yeah. even though he, he did end up finishing fourth. It was pretty tight between right. third and fourth, all things considered. Yeah. Um, so let's just talk a little bit about sort of what you were looking at when it comes to our voting system here. So uh, a lot of the leaders have been coming out and talking in their kind of uh, decompression speeches about electoral reform and, and maybe, you know, that uh, the, the popular vote should reflect the number of seats that you have in the House. But uh, one thing that you were talking about in an article I was reading uh, earlier this week was uh, just how the size of ridings and maybe that, that doesn't necessarily make sense in some cases. I mean, do you want to just maybe give me a brief overview of sort of what you were talking about that uh, in, in that article? article and sort of why you wanted to bring this up? So, I mean, <clears throat> Canada is a vast country and we have uh, people in some places like Toronto that there's a lot of people in a small area, other places like northern BC that they're spread out. Um, so they do try to balance the size of the riding physically with the number of people so that it, it doesn't get too, too vast. But even so, um, the, the country is moving west in terms of population. So the, the population in the, all of the Atlantic provinces is about 2.3 million people. And uh, if you look at Alberta, it's a similar population, um, or actually double that. And uh, 
they have similar numbers of seats. So how can we sort of have a, a, a population in the West where we're growing and growing and we don't see the reflection in the number of voices that we have in Parliament? And the one example that uh, you had brought in uh, that really kind of made sense when you kind of sort of look at the numbers as a whole was talking about PEI specifically, right? And they had four seats, um, I believe, right? Is that correct? That's four, right. Yeah, so P seats. PEI is about 140,000 people, and they have four seats. Kamloops is a, the riding of Kamloops, uh, Thompson Caribou. The population is 114,000, so very similar populations, and we have one seat. Mm -hmm. So the province of PEI has four seats that represent them. Similar number of people in Kamloops has one voice in Ottawa. So the small provinces, they always get a boost, so they have extra seats. But <clears throat> we're sitting here in Kamloops. Um, there's only one other seat uh, riding in, in the province, which is right next to us, the Shushwap. We have the most people in our riding of any uh, riding in BC, uh, here in Kamloops and next door in the Shushwap. So I guess from that perspective, are you just saying it's, it's difficult for the, M, the, the MP to, to represent um, the population? Or, I mean, there's also the, the argument, I guess, when it comes to ge geographical size as well, right? Because we here in Kamloops sort of have a pretty big geographical area compared to somewhere like like in PEI. So they're obviously representing one-fourth of people, basically, and also probably an even smaller geographical area than that. I mean, is it, do, you, do you have any idea how we could potentially balance that out, or is that something that you would like to see explored more? Well, by 2043, that's just over 20 years from now, one in four people will live in Alberta and BC. So will we have one in four seats in Parliament? So that's, a, that's one question to look at is, as, as the country moves west, um, will the voice of Alberta and BC be well represented in Parliament? And then when you look at somewhere like Kamloops, where we have one of the ridings in the entire country that has the most people in it, um, will our riding be divided so that we have uh, a chance? You know, we could have just like in the provincial, we could have a north and a south Kamloops riding, um, that captures different people. And I mean, there's pros and cons to it, but uh, you could say, yes, Kathy McLeod, she can represent everybody, but there's a reason to have more voices in Parliament is that our voices are heard better. Uh, well, Nancy, I do have to take a quick break here, but I'm not done with this conversation, so please stay right there, and uh, we'll be back right after this. Local News Now, Radio NL, 610 AM, and RadioNL.com. The voice of your community, Radio NL 610 AM News Talk at RadioNL.com. Here's Jeff Andreas. Welcome back here on Thursday, October 24th. Now, before the break, former Kamloops City Councilor Nancy Beppel and I were talking about the issue of electoral reform in the wake of the 43rd Canadian federal election. One idea that she has is to look at the size of ridings and the number of people that are being represented by individual MPs. Nancy remains here in studio with me now to continue this conversation. So, Nancy, when you, when you look at the number of seats in the House of Commons as a whole, you know, 338 
Do you think there maybe should be more seats overall in order to better represent the needs of people? Or maybe, you know, do they need to be better dispersed? I mean, do you have an idea of sort of what that looks like in your mind? Uh, or is this more of an exploratory conversation that you're trying to have? What, I, I, what I'm looking at is um, the population of BC and Alberta is going to make up one-fourth of the population of Canada going forward. Um, and we have to make sure that those voices are heard. And it, it is a struggle because the smaller areas, areas like New Brunswick, who are effectively losing population, they don't want to lose their seats. Um, they still want to have a representative. Uh, but as more people move to, to BC and more people move to Alberta, we have to make sure that uh, the country sort of shifts the, the power to our part of the country. Yeah, I just think it's a it's a really difficult conversation. Like I was coming from northern Ontario, right, when I moved from in the summer and uh, in Thunder Bay, Superior North, it's, I don't even know how big the riding is, but it's probably the size of Alberta almost, right, the, the actual geographical size of it. But the population it represents is quite small. Right? It's less than 200,000 people. So uh, it's just really difficult to, to look at, you know, the number of people you're representing and then also the size of a place you're representing, especially when you got pockets of people spread out throughout, you know, the entire riding. And, and uh, you know, uh, here in northeastern BC, I guess that could be an issue as well, right, where you see sort of just how big that riding is, uh, but maybe not necessarily population-wise, it's not as, as significant. So it's just, it's a really difficult balancing act, I think, that needs to occur. And I'm not really sure what the specific answer is, and that's why I just wanted to bring you in to have this conversation because it's a different, different take on how we might look at proportional representation. Right, but I'm, I'm not even arguing down to necessarily the riding size as a province. I mean, right next door, right now, Alberta's saying, or not all of Alberta, but people are saying, oh, we want to leave Canada. Um, right. But I think what they're saying is that we want more influence in how decisions are made. Mm -hmm. And if we look at BC and Alberta together as a quarter of the population of the, of the whole country, um, then it is important to make sure that that part of the country, or Western Canada in general, including Saskatchewan and Manitoba, um, have, have representation. And it's very evident when you have the Kamloops writing with one voice and PEI with four voices Right. that at least at the very local level, um, we aren't getting the same chance to bring up uh, issues. And it, it does make a difference when you, you have a, a, a smaller writing, uh, those people would, in general, I would say, have more common things and in interests in common, right? So they they might uh, vote in a different person than if, if it was uh, one huge, vast right. uh, region. Yeah, so given that, I guess, what is your whole take on this Wexit thing that's being brought forward right now, this Western exit from Canada? I mean, I, I don't think it's a real... Um, thing that's ever going to actually be brought forward. But it's obviously a conversation that is happening, and this is sort of, you know, when you bring up what you were saying, that Alberta and, and BC want more influence when it comes to decisions being made in the House of Commons, that, uh, you know, this is just one way to sort of bring that conversation forward, because, uh, yeah, a lot of frustration in, in Alberta, uh, specifically Alberta, about what's going on in terms of not really having a voice, and, you know, they, they continue to uh, elect conservative, but it continues to be a liberal government, and then it seems like their their voice is almost getting ignored. So uh, if we were to make it smaller, then maybe they would have a little bit more 
influence and a little bit more say in sort of the decisions that are being made for Canada as a whole? That's well, I I, th- I think they have to look specifically at the uh, the ministers and the government. So uh, I think the prime minister needs to find representation uh, in his cabinet that uh, gives voice to Alberta and gives voice to Saskatchewan so that they are not left out um, from the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah, November 20th they're being sworn in, so I guess we'll find out then. But I find it hard to believe that they might get that, given that it was what it was pretty much all blue with that one one NDP seat in Edmonton. So I, I'm not sure that they're going to see any uh, any well, change. Well, they that, they they uh, still can go to the Senate and they could find somebody from the Senate that represents Alberta and swear that person in. Um, I mean, they may not be uh, have their political allegiance to the Liberals. Um, because the Liberals have let their uh, senators uh, go, in a sense, but um, it would still give voice to uh, Alberta, so that would be an opportunity for them to do that. Uh, Here with former Kamloops City Councilor Nancy Beppel, I just wanted to ask uh, your thoughts on on sort of what happened over the course of the last term of of government as well, because we're talking about, you know, changing the voting system a little bit, um, and and that was one of the major promises in 2015 from Justin Trudeau was electoral reform. I guess just how disappointed were you that that wasn't followed through? I know that was a number, uh, something that has come up for a number of people, and and obviously this is something you feel that should be explored as well in some form or another. Just how disappointed were you that it didn't get followed through or, or you know, that it didn't seem to really get explored the way it was promised to? So I've supported electoral reform every time it's come up um, it, it, in terms of the province and even worked on campaigns in the past for that. So I see that it, it does benefit uh, individuals. Um, I guess that the I would say the last government... Um, didn't show leadership because uh, they they took the easy path and change is hard. Mm-hmm. Um, it it in a way uh, it's better to go slowly and get a better result than to just crash through and get something that we don't want. Um, whether they'll revisit it, uh, I, I I think that will be up to the Greens and the uh, NDP especially um, to bring it up in Parliament, um, but. With so, so many countries all over the world choosing it as a form of government and those uh, countries having success in in how they govern, um, they have to go back and say, is it reasonable to keep doing what we're doing where we have entire provinces that have no voice for uh, large portions of their population who uh, didn't vote, for instance, in Alberta for the, the Tories? Yeah, and uh, I brought it up in the intro there, and uh, you had brought it up in your article as well. Just, you know, the Liberals winning 46% of the seats with just 33% of the vote, and uh, the the Conservative, I didn't write it down, but 34% of the vote and 36% of the seats, I believe it was. So it just, those numbers just really don't make sense, right, when you're talking about the popular vote. Uh, it definitely is frustrating as a voter to sort of see that more people are probably voting one way, but they're not getting the results that way, right? So it's yeah. it's frustrating. Um, do you think maybe if we see it at a provincial level, that might be a way to kind of start it towards that federal level? Like if we see it sort of uh, provincially, then maybe the federal government will have a little bit more of a, a kick in the pants, so to speak, to, to consider it as a viable option? Well, for many, many things politically, they start at the very local level and they move up. So it would likely be more uh, more of an option in a province to make it successful 
um, than for the entire country. Um, but that doesn't take away the responsibility for the federal government to ensure that provinces like Alberta or Saskatchewan um, have an opportunity to have a voice um, at the at the even most of uh, BC geographically is voted blue. Now may, maybe not in terms of population, mm -hmm. but the entire interior except for yeah. Penticton um, uh, voted for uh, the Conservatives. So are we going to be um, saying that this entire portion of the country um, hasn't got a voice um, when we're such an important part um, economically for Canada and uh, a quarter of the population? Yeah. Uh, I know it was uh, an issue that Jagmeet Singh had brought up in his, his concession speech, or not concession speech, his sort of look back at the election speech on uh, Tuesday, Tuesday morning. Um, so I guess it's really up to him, I mean, given the fact that he does hold the balance of power to maybe maybe make the push for something along those lines. And given, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they did win a fewer number of seats as well for the percentage of vote they got. So um, really, I guess it's up to them to hold the, the Liberals' feet to the fire on something like this. Yeah, and I mean, time will tell, but... Uh uh, I think that uh, Justin Trudeau is going to have to find a way to give voice to people that didn't vote for him. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's a minority government, so it definitely will be a little bit of a different uh, different way to govern than we saw over the last four years. I know a lot of the conservatives are saying that hopefully he treats the House with a little bit more respect. I mean, maybe that's just a conservative look at things more than, more than a, uh, an overall uh, MP look at things. But... Uh, yeah, it's definitely going to be, a, I think, a, a bit of a different working relationship between those parties moving forward, and it should be interesting to see. Right. Uh, any ideas or guesses on how long this government will last? Do you think it's going to get to the full four terms, or do you think, or four years, sorry, or do you think uh, we might see something a little bit quicker than that in terms of another election? Well, nobody wanna, wants an election <laughs> no, right now. <laughs> no, I know that much. Yeah, <laughs> so, that's for sure. So I think everybody's going to let the dust settle and see think, where things go. Yeah, uh, I, yeah like you said, uh, I'm not ready for an election just yet. Uh, so hopefully this one lasts a little while. Well, Nancy, thanks so much for coming in. I appreciate you taking the oh. time. And uh, anything else you want to throw on the table before I let you go? Well, I want to congratulate Kathy McLeod. Her, she had a pretty decisive win, and it must uh, reflect on people really having confidence in her. And I wish her luck going forward. Great. Well, again, thanks so much for coming in. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks. That was Nancy Beppel, former city councillor here in Kamloops on the issue of electoral reform. Coming up. I'll be chatting with the executive director of Ask Wellness, Mr. Bob Hughes, so stay tuned. Your opinion. Call or text 250-374-5345. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Jeff Andreas on RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome back into the Jeff Andrea Show here on Thursday, October 24th. Ask Wellness is an important organization here in our community as it provides outreach, housing, health, education, employment, and emotional support services for the marginalized and other persons at risk here in Kamloops and area. As the weather gets colder, things like housing become even more important. I'm joined on the phone now by the executive director of Ask Wellness, Bob Hughes. Bob, thanks so much for doing this with me. I really appreciate you coming on. Not a problem. Good morning to you. Good morning to you as well. So, uh, as I mentioned there, I mean, we are getting into that shift to somewhat colder weather. I guess, uh, what is Ask Wellness up to during this time to sort of make sure that people are staying warm and, and not, you know, outside in those sub-zero temperatures right now? Well, I mean, I think it's, uh, it's, 
it's an issue across the province where it's every community really that is just struggling with with the affordable housing crisis that's been uh, long in the making and and one that um, it seems that even if we're you know building at a rate that has been unprecedented in the last couple of years we still find that there's literally you know hundreds of folks that are are, are in need of housing I mean I think the public has is is quite surprised too and is frustrated with seeing the you know the continued number of people that are you know set up on the on the riverbanks and uh, in some cases right out on the streets of our cities um with nowhere to go and this is in you know this is at a time when we've seen investments from the province and uh, commitments from the city of Kamloops that um you know we we were um, you know seeking for many many years uh, these investments include, you know, the opening of Sparrow House, which is our Tronquille project for, that ASK started in, um, in, uh, in, in May of 2019 to back in November of 2018, the 55 unit, um, uh, you know, workforce camp, which, I mean, it looks like an aircraft carrier, but it houses 55 people. So, you know, uh, we've got the branch open. And so it's just, um, it just seems like we just continue to be drowning in people who are in desperate, uh, desperate need of housing. Yeah, I was going to ask specifically about the Spiro House project as well, that 42-unit facility uh, from BC Housing rising next to Emerald Centre there on West Victoria. I mean, uh, you know, it was expected to be finished in early 2020s or early next year. I mean, is that project uh, remaining on track from your understanding? And just, you know, how critical are projects like that, uh, you know, to, to make sure people are housed here in Kamloops? Well, the, um, the I mean, that's a CMHA um, uh, operation uh, that will be the operator for that facility on West Victoria, and it has taken a long time. But it was a very complex location, and you know, imagining trying to build a you know an apartment building smack in the middle of a one of the you know the biggest infrastructure projects the city of Kamloops has seen, you know, it's never easy in the first place, let alone in you know set right in that very very dense uh, setting. So it has, you know, it's long overdue, and um, uh, but you know, I've I've watched the the parties involved, and uh, and have no, um, you know, no concerns whatsoever that there hasn't been the will to do it. It's just been very technically difficult, and I think that, you know, now you can see as you drive by it that they're making you know significant progress. So. Um, it's desperately needed, and uh, you know, as uh, you know, as one of the partners to CMHA, we are just so grateful that they're um, involved in, in in this project to to make it happen. Um, and uh, you know, while we while we wait for that to be done, the you know the branch, which is another CMHA project, um, is uh, is operating with the support of BC Housing, and you know this. This, in light of uh, you know this massive demand for housing, we um, and shelter space, uh, we could we, you know we would be in a far worse circumstance if we if we didn't have these things in place. And I think the you know I think the public Jeff has been um, you know frustrated with seeing this, believing that these are folks that have literally drifted from other parts of the province or the country to Kamloops, and that you know we become kind of a mecca for homeless marginalized people but you know you go to just about any city in this province whether it's Vernon, Penticton, um, even places like Merritt there is a significant subpopulation that is 
in very very dire straits economically and have um, you know have slipped into homelessness from having had employment places to live you know it's not all the stereotypical young guy who's you know, deeply addicted and uh, and you know wants nothing to do with community there are uh, the, you know the vast vast majority of people are people that are just simply have fallen on hard times and and they you know they're from Kamloops or they're from you know around the area whether it's barrier whether it's you know um logan lake i mean these are local people in in local you know communities that are in desperate need of housing seniors young people middle-aged folks i mean it is uh it, it is one that i think it's easy to look for uh, to blame it on, you know, one reason and to think there's a simple solution. But this is a deeply complex issue that I think we're making some inroads with the housing and with, uh, you know, a collaborative approach to these, uh, to addressing this. But it's, it's one, it took us, you know, 20 years to get here and it's going to take us, you know, at least five to eight years, I think, before we really see a dramatic shift away from, uh, you know, the levels of homelessness and, and, uh, and addiction that we see now. Yeah, it's definitely a growing issue across Canada, and, and Kamloops is no different. And as you mentioned, it's not uh, it's not unique to Kamloops by any stretch. Um, since you did bring up, uh, you know, just a, a little bit talking about addictions as well, like you said, it's maybe not the majority of people who are on the street, but it is a portion of that population. Um, there has been a drop in the number of overdose deaths in Kamloops this year. Uh, according to the BC Coroner Service, data shows there are 24 deaths in Kamloops between January and August. Um, and that and that the city is on track for fewer deaths uh, when it comes to overdose compared to the 46 we saw in 2018. Just uh, can you can you comment on that? I mean, what what is Ask Wellness doing, or, or how does it feel about those numbers? Obviously, some inroads are being made, um, even if it's not zero, which is obviously the target. I mean, it is still progress. It is, and it reflects a provincial um, uh, trend, which is uh, is you know the first light at the end of the tunnel over the last three years that we've had. Um, this has been, you know, an unrelenting public health emergency that has impacted, you know, every socioeconomic uh, group in, in the province and in our community. So, it, you know, it, it, it is, what I think, a, you know, reflection of the level of um, determination and, uh, and commitment from, from the province of BC and from our health authority to provide resources to make, you know, to, to, to have some inroads in this. I mean, we've seen the impact of naloxone has been um, absolutely transformative in saving people's lives to, um, you know, having uh, nurses out doing outreach services and engaging people to, our, you know, the supervised consumption service that people may have criticized, but it's been a lifesaver. Um, so now that we, I think, have made, you know, the beginnings of some significant change for the positive with, uh, with the overdose crisis, uh, now's the time to start talking about how will we people get these people who we're starting to save their lives and, and see the trend, um, the downward trend in, in fatalities. Now is the time to start to talk about recovery options and how we actually uh, try to treat the addictions that these people have been living with for, for, for some time and to look at preventative steps so that we can, um, you know, move away from just the life-saving model to, yeah. you know, like we would equate as a, in, a, in, um, in a hospital where 
we've done the triaging in the ER and now we need to do the, the real major surgery to see change. Yeah. That's where, that's where I'm excited to see ASK move to is, um, you know, still doing the harm reduction services, but diving deeply into yeah. recovery choices. Well, Bob, uh, unfortunately that does wrap up our time. I'd love to continue this conversation, but, uh, unfortunately we can't do that right now. So thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate you taking the time and, uh, yeah, thanks again for all the hard work. Take good care. Bye. All right. That was Bob Hughes, Executive Director for Ask Wellness. Well, that wraps things up for me here today. I want to thank all my guests for joining me and a big thank you to all of you for listening. And remember, whether you join me for a short while or a long while, just know that I enjoyed our time while it lasted. I'll be back here tomorrow morning at 9.